I'm Lucinda Dalmeida. Today's guest is Leanne Hermanos. She's an attorney and currently a legal researcher that focuses on gender-based violence and the criminal justice system. She's the co-founder of the Embrace Project. It's a South African-based nonprofit organization that sells local art today's funds for the gender-based violent causes. Leanne describes herself as a strong world, ambitious and nurturing individual. <laughs> One of the points she strongly believes in is that we are, we are not seeking to empower women. Women, have, women are already empowered. We're just reminding them that the power is within them. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Thank you, Lucinda. Thank you for that introduction. It's funny hearing my words being read back to me. <laughs> Okay, so to start off, I'd like to ask you, um, where did your passion originate for this specific cause? Um, to be honest, I think just being a, a woman in South Africa is enough to ignite that kind of a passion. Um, and I think I've always had a passion for social justice, um, hence the career path I chose. Um, but I think like most women in South Africa can probably attest to this, but um, you know, I've had my own experience of um, sexual violence in a different, in okay. you know, it's different forms. Um, for me, it was sexual harassment, and I think that there's not a single woman in South Africa that hasn't either experienced it herself or knows someone close to her who has. Um, that's so, so that's where my passion originates from. Okay, that's that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. So what I'm hoping that the, the, or the impact that I'm hoping the Embrace Project will have is from, our, from my particular perspective is to create awareness about gender-based violence, its causes and its prevalence. Um, we try to do that through our social media. Um, we, we send out bite-sized information about um, gender-based violence um, yes. in our posts. Yes. So we, we try to give people little bits of information to explain to them that, you know, it's not normal to live in such a violent society. Um, and it's kind of unique to South Africa, given our context. Um, and in trying to combat gender-based violence, we have to understand where this violence comes from. It's yes. a part of yes. the, the greater violence picture that we currently live in, in South Africa. And um, if we're to combat that, then we have to understand how we got here. Um, and it's got largely to do with our very checkered past, um, you know, both our colonial and apartheid histories um, and the disempowerment um, that resulted from that in a majority of the population in South Africa and how that feeling of disempowerment can become quite dangerous, um, particularly in the hands of, you know, um, perpetrators who are predominantly men. So what people usually do when they feel disempowered is to try and take the little control that they think that they have. Um, and that's why um, violence or gender-based violence is predominantly perpetrated by men against women and children who are weaker um, and more vulnerable. Um, and, and that's the kind of information that we try to um, get out there through our social media networks um, because we genuinely believe that change starts at home 
um, in as much as we have fantastic laws that try to prevent violence and now in particular gender-based violence, um, why should we get to that point where the violence has already been perpetuated or perpetrated rather um, to then engage the criminal justice system? What we're hoping to do is to form like kind of a preventative solution so that we don't even get to the point where gender-based violence is perpetrated. Um, and, and that's the one aspect of the impact that we're hoping to have is the Embrace project. Another aspect, which is the creative side, which makes this organization pretty unique because it combines advocacy and art, um, is to bring a, a lighter and a more beautiful side on a topic that's very dark. Um, so we, we try to bring in the creative aspect as a sort of a healing aspect um, as well as you know a manner of fundraising so we're selling very beautiful pieces of art which don't necessarily have anything to do with gender-based violence but is a, a beautiful picture or a print that you can put up in your office or in your home um, which you've purchased with the knowledge of um, you know knowing that your money is going towards organizations that are combating a pretty good cause in South Africa um, and we hope to expand on the art um, aspect of our organization by the, through the creation of murals. So really trying to harness um, the healing aspect of art as well as you know, the, the beauty of it. Sorry, you're muted. <laughs> I muted myself. Um, so what are some of the organizations that the funds actually go towards? Because I, I saw in, the, on one of, in one of your previous interviews, you mentioned Fight Back, Fight Back Essay and um, PASO. Are you still working with them or have you extended to different organizations? So we are still currently funding them um, with our current funding cycle, um, but we've also added an additional organization um, called ADAPT. Uh, they are Johannesburg based, they're based in Alexandra, um, whereas Pasop and Fightback are based in Cape Town. Um, and those are, you know, pretty grassroots organizations, particularly ADAPT. They work uh, directly with the community in Alexandra. Um, so that, that really, um, that really brings a like a, a very local um, flavor to what we do because we, um, you know, art is donated to us by local artists and um, the money goes towards local organizations which might find it a bit difficult to obtain international funding um, to keep their organization going and it's quite ironic because it's usually those grassroots organizations that have the most impact because they are working directly with communities day in day out yes. gaining their trust um, so those are the three organizations that we as the embrace project currently fund and um, they called out we call them our beneficiaries um, the idea though is for us to rotate our beneficiaries so that yes. we can yes. support as many grassroots organizations as they are out there so your organization is very connected with the community. It focuses with a community-based organization. Yeah, so we're connected to the community through our beneficiary organizations. We ourselves don't go out there and do that groundwork, um, we, which is why we raise funds for those organizations that do. Um, we don't um, 
you know, pretend that we have expertise, hands-on expertise um, with communities on the ground like our beneficiary organizations do. But we do also try to foster partnerships with our organizations so that we could, in the long run, become more involved in, you know, the more grassroots changes with communities. So for individuals who are looking to get involved with the organization and maybe contribute their art, where can they find your organization? So um, we are available on both Instagram, Facebook, um, predominantly. Um, but if anybody would like to contact us directly, particularly pertaining to the donation of art or um, any kind of um, you know, contribution that they'd like to make, as well as organizations who are looking to hopefully be funded by us, um, you can go directly to our website. It's currently not easy to find it on Google, but our website address is actually easy enough to remember. It's um, www.theembraceproject.com. Um, and if you can't remember the website name, you can find us on our social media platforms, uh, which will have our uh, website address as well. And on all of our social media platforms, we are, um, our handle is at the Embrace Project ZA. Um, um, yeah, I've personally seen uh, your content online and I've engaged with your content and I like the fact that it's in bite-sized pieces of information. It's very easy to absorb it and take in and it's very informative as well. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure and it's great to hear that kind of feedback to know that um, it's having the, the impact that we're hoping it would. Um, so recently I saw that there's this um, bill called the Victim Support Service Bill. Could you please explain what the purpose of that is and if it is passed, how it will affect um, victims of gender-based violence? Um, so the Victim Support Service Bill uh, was one of four gender-based violence related bills um, that were currently um, released and published um, and had calls for comment. Um, the particular bill that you're talking about was drafted by the Department of Social Development and the other three bills that I'm referring to were drafted by the uh, Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services. So the Victim Support Services Bill is, um, I guess, the first of its kind. The other three bills I'm talking about are amendment bills that amend current acts. Um, the Victim Support Services Bill's purpose is twofold. Um, this is what I gleaned from reading the, the bill. Um, the, its first purpose or primary purpose is to provide additional services and assistance and support to um, victims of violence, um, as they're defined in the bill. Um, and its secondary purpose yeah. seems to be to regulate already existing victim support service providers, programs, and facilities. Now, it's this secondary purpose, which is actually um, kicked up quite a fuss in the media and among um, the victim support services um, providers. Um, and the reason that is, is because this bill um, quite heavily regulates um, these service providers and facilities. Um, they require them now to be registered, um, to comply with accreditation requirements. They have to get a certificate um, every five years. They can um, be denied um, accreditation. They can be given temporary 
um, accreditation, they can be deregistered. Um, and also there's quite a burdensome reporting process required by this bill. Um, so what this translates into to the man on the street is basically all of these uh, victim services, um, they are in the non-governmental sector. So they are privately funded. And these requirements will require um, quite a bit of financial resources to comply with them. And for those that don't comply, they will either disappear because they, will be, uh, they won't be provided with the requisite accreditation, or the bill also um, provides for the fact that, that the Department of Social Development can actually also subsume um, or, um, yeah, basically have the powers and the duties that yes. rest with yes. these um, service providers conferred on them, which is kind of like usurping their power. And um, for me, I found that quite unusual because these organizations, which uh, some of them are, um, are, can be registered in terms of, or probably are registered in terms of, um, you know, company laws or um, other laws in the public, and you can't just take um, a private entity's um, powers and duties. So you know, for, for your little informal shelters in um, underprivileged communities, they will also be subject to this regulation. And you can imagine that they yes. would never be able to comply and that it would result in the shutting down of a lot of these services, as well as um, stifling the possible opening up of new ones in the future. And victims who rely on these services will be left destitute. And it basically entirely, um, it defeats the primary purpose of the bill, which is to provide additional services and protections to um, victims of violence. So we, as the Embrace Project, commented on this bill and um, you know made that pretty clear to the department and I'm very sure we're not the only organization that did. Um, yes. It's caused quite an uproar. Um, so we'll see if the department takes in those recommendations. They are required to read the public submissions and um, amend the bill accordingly, but we'll see when they release their um, second draft. Of the bill before yeah. before it becomes enacted. Okay, so touching on those three other bills you mentioned earlier on, could you just speak about them and how can the public get involved in participating in the, the amendment bills? Sure. So um, the other three bills, uh, it um, let me name them. the The first bill was um, a, the domestic violence amendment bill. Then a second one was um, the criminal law, in brackets, sexual offences and related matters, Amendment Act, Amendment Bill. It's quite a mouthful. Um, and then the third bill was um, just criminal and related matters, Amendment Bill. So um, the first Amendment Bill that I mentioned amends the current Domestic Violence Act. The second bill that I mentioned amends um, the current it's colloquially called um, the Sexual Offences um, Amendment Act. And then the last bill actually amended uh, four different acts. Um, and each of them were done basically to, um, to sort of comply with the demands of the public um, from the protests that broke out in 2019, or well, last year, at the end of last year, when obviously Uyunene was um, 
uh, raped and murdered and uh, it just basically resulted in a huge outcry um, from the public for the first time um, considering that gender-based violence and femicide is nothing new to South Africa and is very very prevalent um, so what each of those bills basically tried to do is to create stronger protections for um, victims of domestic violence so now you can apply for a basically a protection order in terms of the act online um, and it provides for uh, basically it recognizes the fact that a perpetrator can perpetrate violence through the use of technology so through mm -hmm. his cell phone um, and it requires the act requires um, that um, electronic service providers or electronic communication service providers provide the court with information on basically the perpetrator's um, identity, his cell phone, um, and any sort of material that was used to perpetrate the violence, they can retrieve from the electronic communication service provider, which is the first. Um, in our law and, and probably one of the first around the world. Um, so it's, it's very progressive, uh, which is very amazing. Um, there are obviously some concerning factors in the bill, uh, in the amendment bill. For example, it now makes it compulsory for any third party adult um, and any uh, what they call functionaries. So um, any psychologist um, or healthcare professional or the like that is somehow made aware of any domestic violence being perpetrated either against an adult or a child um, the bill, the amendment bill then makes it um, basically compulsory for them to report it, regardless of the confidentiality um, uh, codes and requirements um, that exist in, you know, the psychology profession and um, the healthcare profession. Um, you have to report it, and if you don't, you are actually then guilty of a criminal offence, um, and you can be sanctioned in accordance with that. And those can be problematic when it comes to building a trust relationship between a patient and, for example, a psychologist or a healthcare practitioner. Um, so those are some of the things that we highlighted in that bill. And then the Sexual Offences Amendment Bill, um, it, I'm trying to think what it does, it added um, an additional sexual offence of sexual intimidation. Um, yes. It, um, I think that was the main one. It also increased uh, the definition of incest. And um, the National Sex, um, uh, the National Register on Sex Offenders was meant to be made um, publicly available. Yes. Um, that was one of the objectives of the Amendment Bill, but nowhere in the actual Amendment Bill does it provide for that. Um, and that is something that we pointed out. Uh, I'm sure we're not the only organization to have noticed that. Um, uh, so that, that was the one glaring problem with, with uh, that amendment bill. But if you recall, one of the um, demands of the public was that the um, National Register on Sex, Offense, uh, Sex Offenders becomes public. And then the last amendment bill, um, it increased the, I think, bail requirements. It also increased the minimum sentence for rape, compelled rape, and I think sex, sexual exploitation of children and uh, the mentally disabled. 
Um, so it, it basically addressed also more of the protesters' demands. Um, I know that at the time, the protests called for uh, the imposition of a life sentence um, mm -hmm. if you were convicted of rape. And this is rape without aggravating circumstances. Um, but in this bill, it provides for a minimum sentence of between 15 to 25 years. For so not a rape life sentence. So not that's a not a life sentence. sentence. The only time that a life sentence or life imprisonment um, is a minimum sentence is if you can prove rape with particular aggravating circumstances. So what we did in our submission is to try and point out to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee that rape in itself consists of aggravating circumstances, that it's inherent in um, the perpetration of rape, unlike with murder. Mm -hmm. um, and that on that basis alone, even a first-time offender uh, should uh, you know, be convicted and then sentenced to life imprisonment. It's, it's quite a harsh sentence if you think about, um, you know, a first-time offender landing up in, in prison for a lifetime uh, for, on a conviction of rape. Um, I think that's probably how the Portfolio Committee views that, and that's why they didn't push it to the max. Um, but our view is that there's enough studies and, and the circumstances in South Africa are so dire that something as drastic and as unequivocal a message is required to be sent out to even potential first-time offenders mm. um, that it would justify a life imprisonment even on a first offender basis without aggravating circumstances. Because the harsher punishment would mean these people would actually do that in the first place. We hope so. Um, you know, the, the biggest problem though with all of these bills and the amendment bills as well is that um, some of them have pretty amazing provisions from before the amendments and they just haven't been implemented properly. So South Africa's biggest problem is not its progressive laws because it has very, very good laws, but its problem is and has always been implementation. I've, I've heard you mention this before in quite a few interviews. What do you think the government is actually doing about implementation and what should they be doing? Like I, I know you mentioned um, sensitization. Yeah, sensitization training. Yes. So, um, so the thing with government institutions is it's often restrained um, by resource constraints as well as human resource constraints. So both money and people capacity and people skills. Um, so that that's probably the first and biggest hurdle that the government has to get through. Then there's obviously political will. So there has to be the will to implement what is already provided for in legislation or policy or regulations. And one of the biggest um, recommendations that we've punted, as you rightly said, is sensitization training. And sensitization training basically requires um, or is training that um, is aimed at basically breaking down um, harmful beliefs and um, practices, as well as sensitizing um, the civil service, because that is where the sensitization training would be implemented. We would be sensitizing the civil service to um, the types of crimes 
um, that they're dealing with and the nature of those crimes, particularly when it comes to sexual offences. Mm -hmm. um, because I think what a male-dominated civil service doesn't understand is that um, sexual offences and, and domestic um, violence is a lot more psychological um, than they understand it to be. Um, when people think of violence, they think it's physical. That's their immediate mm -hmm. thought. But there is there, and and these pieces of legislation have provided for all the different types of violence. But I don't think that the man on the ground understands that you can get all these different forms of violence, and it goes from psychological to um, mental, and there's a difference between the two. Um, to economic. Um, um, there are isolation tactics, for example, that abusers use. And it's that kind of knowledge that um, the <laughs> law enforcement and the criminal justice system um, that they need to understand and know about. I'm the Cinder Dalmeida and you've been listening to the Mental Gap podcast. Special thanks to our guests for this episode and to everyone listening. If you enjoyed the content, you can join us at The Mental Gap on Instagram. Here you can share your comments and questions. We'd be happy to hear from you. Other than that, take care. Till next time, I'll catch you on the other side of a conversation worth having.